This morning's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power, God, power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an internal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Be seated, please. Good morning and uh, a warmest welcome to you on this cold, uh, I guess it's January day in Kansas City and uh, we're grateful you are here. I'm Tom Nelson and I get to serve on our teaching team across our campuses and uh, I'm grateful to serve with you this morning. For the last couple of weeks we have been uh, in a new series. We've entitled this series, A Church for Monday. We have been pressing into seven marks of an authentic apprentice or student or follower of Jesus, particularly as it relates to how that shapes our Monday worlds. Uh, and I'm reminded of Jim Collins in his best-selling book. Maybe you've read it, Good to Great. He tells the story of Jim Stockdale. Uh, Admiral Jim Stockdale spent eight years in what was dubbed as the Hanoi Hilton. It was anything but a Hilton, I assure you, uh, as an American prisoner of war in the Vietnam conflict. It's hard to imagine what his experience was like for eight years as a POW enduring unimaginable depri deprivation and torture. Some POWs made it home and some did not. And in the interview, Jim Collins interacts with Jim Stockdale about what was the difference between those prisoner of, wars, or prisoner of war that survived and those who didn't, those who never made it home and those like him who made it home. And Jim Stockdale said that the difference was, is those who made it home believed that they would prevail in the end. And Admiral Stockdale summarized his own journey personally saying, I never lost faith in the end of the story. 
Now, Admiral Stockdale's insight is really profound here because all of us have a story that we live by, a story that animates our Monday worlds, the way we make sense of our lives with all the differences and perplexities of the world we live in, how we handle suffering and difficulty. Now, in the case of the American POWs in the Vietnam conflict, what story animated their lives literally made a difference between life and death. And maybe we do not face that kind of deprivation of a prisoner of war camp, but the story that animates your Monday world and my Monday world is profoundly important. For it navigates us through the relationships we have, the work, the sense of meaning in our life, and the deepest relationships of our hearts. Now, you may be here this morning and you are a stay-at-home spouse or your Monday world is running a corporation. It may be an employee for someone else. It may be a professional. It may be a student. It may be a retiree. And what I want to suggest for all of us is that our Mondays do not make sense without a story. Each one of us, the way our brains are wired, we are wired with a story in mind. All of us have a story that seeks to make sense of our lives, a story that frames tomorrow, our Monday world. So let me ask you, as thoughtful listeners, is the story you are living by the best story? We all have stories. Our culture tells us stories to live by. There are many. Let me suggest a couple that often animate our Monday world. One is a materialistic story. That is, we convince ourselves on Mondays that if we just get a bunch of right good stuff, right, the more stuff we have, the more financial security, the more comfort, life's going to be great. We're going to be happy. Or another story close to that is a success story or a comfort story. If we just achieve a certain level of whatever goals, we are going to be happy. For some of us, it is a story deeply embedded in relationships. In other words, if we find that right relationship, that perfect relationship, life will be great, we'll find meaning, and we'll be fulfilled. But let me ask you, at least these are three main stories of our culture, will that story bring you true happiness? Or will those stories fail you in the end? Will they merely be a mirage that beckons you but ultimately betrays you in life. Now, I'm going to be very upfront this morning that I believe of all the stories, I believe passionately and firmly that God's story given to us in the Bible is the best story by far to live by. <coughs> and I am not the only one who believes this. In his remarkable book, wonderful book, Anatomy of the Soul, psychiatrist Kurt Thompson makes a strong case for the biblical story that brings meaning and fulfillment in life. He writes these words. I like how he says this. One reason many people find Scripture to be so regenerative is that fundamentally it is a story, one told by many different voices. All of its authors were confronted by a person. And in the course of that encounter, whether it lasted a moment or for a lifetime, each storyteller was changed by that other voice. 
Now, I think what Dr. Thompson is doing so well is he is connecting how our brains are wired, how we are wired as people, with our deep longing and connection to story. In Kurt Thompson's words speak timeless. Across the contours of time, they address the longings of our story, minds and bodies and hearts, and they set a beautiful, compelling backdrop for us to get a greater glimpse into the Apostle Paul's life. The biblical story not only transformed the Apostle Paul's life, friends, it animated him as a storyteller. After his encounter with the risen Jesus on the dusty road to Damascus, this story, this person, this voice permeated his entire thinking. It reordered his loves. It influenced his writings. He dreamed in this story. And perhaps no place is this more evident in how it marinated through the inspired pens that he picked up was when he wrote the letter we call 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you brought a Bible, I'd like you to turn there with me. It's in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now let's briefly set the context in this letter, just the backdrop of the letter. In many ways, the church at Corinth, if you've read the New Testament, was a real headache for Paul. This was a part of his Monday world. There were divisions and conflicts. In fact, when you look at the church in Corinth, if you really idolize the first century church, like Christ's community should just be like first century church, let's not be just like this one, okay? We may be just a tad better. Just, just say it, maybe, on a good day. But his leadership is constantly being questioned. It's being undermined and even opposed. Welcome to his Monday world. And what's amazing to me is against this very difficult backdrop of his Monday world, Paul is amazingly vulnerable and transparent, but also, on the flip side, he is buoyant and resilient. Even in the midst of this discouraging Monday world, Paul had a painfully difficult Monday world both as a tent maker in the shop and as an itinerant apostle. How was he able to do this? Well, there are many tributaries of influence that helped him be resilient and have joy in the midst of a hard life. But this morning's text, as we do an overview of this brilliant chapter, gives us insight into something we often miss. And we must not miss it. What allowed Paul to have a resilient, buoyant Monday? It was because the biblical story animated every part of his Monday world. It shaped it. So this morning, if you'll join me, I would like us to look over his shoulder through his heart in this chapter. And I would like us to find three truths that Paul embraced that we must embrace if we are going to be ready for Monday, here they are, and here's the flow of the text. We must first know the story, the biblical story. Secondly, we must live the biblical story. And third, we must find our hope in the biblical story. So let's jump in. Notice verse 1, where this chapter begins. Therefore, Paul writes, 
having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, I want you to frame your mind and heart on this little phrase, we do not lose heart, because from a literary standpoint, it bookends this entire chapter of thought. You will notice it emerges at the end of the chapter as well. So we know that in between is understanding how and why he did not lose heart. The idea in the original language is like throwing in the towel. It's a picture of resiliency. And I'm sure, just like you tomorrow, whether again you're at home or in a retiree kind of calling or you're a professional, whatever it is, student, that there'll be times tomorrow you're going to want, I want to throw in the towel. I'm tired of this. Paul had the same feelings, the same emotion on Monday. So how was he able to push through it with resiliency? Well, we see early in this chapter one of the reasons. Because he knew the story, he knew the story was trustworthy and true. He knew the best story is a true story. And you and I do too. Look at me at verse 2. Notice the emphasis. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's Word. That is the written Holy Scripture. Notice the reference. Notice the connection. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Notice what Paul is saying about the biblical story encoded in the written text of Scripture. He is making the most stunning truth claim that the Holy Scripture, the Bible, as he focuses first on the Old Testament in context, is the truth. Paul is not saying this is my truth or this is a truth. Paul is making the most extraordinary claim. This story encoded in time and space on the pages of Scripture is the truth. Wow. And not only that, notice, the emphasis of those who tell that story are also trustworthy and true. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones, and again, if you have not picked up the Jesus Story Bible, she's brilliant in this. Whether you are a kid or a kid at heart, it's for you. Listen how she says this. She says, no, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes even. The Bible is most of all, what? A story. And the best thing she writes about the story is, it's true. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. The Bible claims to be an extraordinary book. And it is a book, y'all, we not only read, but reads us. See, here's bottom line. The Bible gets you. It gets your life, your heart, your heartaches, your joys. It gets you. But it only not only gets you, it transforms you. It's not incidental throughout history that Jesus' followers, by their friends and foes, call them people of the book. And again, I hope you've picked up our wonderful Church for Monday guide. Someone said, this is really the best thing Christ has ever done. I, I wanted to claim credit, but I said, nah, I didn't do much of that. But I think it's really good. I hope you engage in this. It's a great corollary to this journey in these seven weeks. 
And notice in week four, and again, if you haven't, pick one of these up and follow along with us. Week four begins like this. A disciple who's ready for Monday builds their life on the Bible, seeing everything as God's story. See, the Bible isn't just part of the Christian's life. The Bible informs every nook and cranny of human existence, including your life and mine. C.S. Lewis, the brilliant Oxford professor who was an atheist who came to faith in Jesus, says it so well, as Paul is saying here. When C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe, right, that the sun is risen. Not simply because I see it, but by seeing it, I see everything else. If you want to be ready, if I want to be ready as a follower of Jesus on my Monday world, we are going to need to see through our life and take the lens of Scripture and illuminate it. That means we need to be a lifetime student of this book. This book is a literary masterpiece among all masterpieces. It is a gift of God's grace. It is a priceless treasure. So how well do you know the story? How are you increasingly learning more of the biblical story in your personal reading and study? Have you established a habit, yes, a habit, a pattern in your daily or weekly life? where you have space for unhurried reading and reflection. And for some of you in seasons of life, with small children, you're going to have to be creative on this. But where is your space? How are you helping your children, if you have children or your grandchildren, learn more of this story? Who is helping you learn this story? One of the things I love most about Christ's community is we realize that this story is so magnificent, so great, so multi-layered, so robust, so deep for mind and heart, we will never exhaust it. And at Christ's community, we teach it with passion and engagement and robustness and practical application. We love this book. And this book speaks in profound ways. And we never exhaust its truth. This book helps you face anything you face on Monday, not with shock or despair, but with confidence and passion. So how well do you know it? And one of the reasons, and at Christ Communion, I think we model this well across our campuses. One of the reasons we gather on Sunday morning is to learn better this book and this story and to remember it together. It's one of the reasons why Sunday morning is so important for us in our teaching and liturgies of worship. And let's not forget that the story encoded in Scripture from beginning to end is really a story about Jesus. You will notice in verse 4 in this text how Paul brings the living word and written word, the living word is Jesus, the written word is the text of Scripture, together in the brilliance and beauty of his divine person and saving work of the gospel. Notice the phrase in verse 4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see how the Apostle Paul is bringing the written word of the Bible that points us to Jesus the living word. It has been said, I love this phrase, that Jesus is the manger, in, or the Bible, sorry, the Bible is the manger in which Jesus is laid before us and to us. That's exactly right. 
So how are you growing closer to Jesus? Jesus is the person of the story. Are you increasingly knowing him and being known by him? And a massive part of that is through the pages of Holy Scripture. Embracing the gospel, continuing to learn the written and deepening intimacy of the written word and the living word are inextricably linked. And here is a danger for all of us, that we can learn the biblical story and not know Jesus. But on the other side, we cannot know Jesus initially or in depth without learning the biblical story. Notice here in chapter 4, Paul weaves together these two threads of the living word and the written word. In fact, he explicitly points back to the Old Testament in verse 13. Do you see it? He quotes Psalm 116.10. And the psalmist was big on that, that the word, the scriptures, and he's speaking the Old Testament, the Old Testament, but says what? In Psalm 119, God's word, the holy scriptures, are a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. They illuminate my Monday life. They get me ready for Monday. See, God's Word is not only important to illuminate your relationships, as important as that is, your heart, your time with your family, your recreation. God's Word is profoundly illuminating and empowering to your Monday world. In fact, I'm going to suggest one of the most important things you can take out the door if you leave your home tomorrow morning is to take God's Word with you to allow it to marinate and guide you and encourage you and draw you close to Christ in His presence. Paul is saying, we need to know the biblical story. Know it. But secondly, live it. Notice, for knowing the biblical story for Paul was to live it in the rough and tumble of everyday life. And he doesn't paint a good picture, or at least an easy picture, does he, in this chapter? What does it mean to live the biblical story, and how does that work? That's an important question. See, knowing biblically is not merely cognitive awareness or recognition. It is applying the truth of God's Word to our lives, body, soul, and spirit, in everything we are and everything we do. It is incarnating that story. It is allowing that story to put on flesh in our lives. At the heart of that, most important is cultivating intimacy with Jesus. He is the person of the story. And notice how Paul focuses here on navigating the inevitable difficulties and struggles of our Monday world. In verses 7 through 15, he will frame how the biblical story informs his struggles. And verses 8 through 9, look at this. Does he shoot it straight? Does he describe many of our Monday worlds? at work or at school or in class or at home with our kids or whatever it is, or running a company or serving a difficult boss. We are afflicted in every way. We are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but we're not destroyed. Now, in the first century context, these words written by Paul in the Greek language for the illicit, original listeners or readers would have right away connected something we missed through the, the, the contours of time. And that is, Paul is echoing and painting for us on the literary canvas gladiator combat in the arena. 
you will notice the picture is he's being hit. He hits the ground, but he bounces back. That's the picture. He gets hit hard. He bounces back up. And the longer you and I live in our Monday worlds, the more we realize how crucial it is for us to be resilient because we are going to be knocked down hard. Our dreams will be dashed. We will struggle in relationships, in our work, our trials, right? We will feel crushed. We will feel perplexed. We will feel forsaken. That's the Monday world we can anticipate. See, maybe you really dislike your job or you're bored in your job. Or perhaps you're saying to yourself, Paul's language, now that I begin to understand this more, feels more like my home life. It's like a war zone. Timeless, isn't it? And maybe Paul, other texts, will talk about the deep loneliness that stalks his Monday soul. Afflicted. Yeah. Perplexed, you bet. Persecuted, yeah, forsaken. But Paul is so transparent. Do you see the hope? He's knocked down, but he's not knocked out. He keeps getting up with energy and hope and joy. He's not destroyed. And with the biblical story, with its centrality on the cross of Jesus, there emerges, do you see it in this text? Read it carefully today. This emerging, life-transforming paradox Paul mentions it very specifically. He elucidates it. He elaborates it in verses 10 through 11. It is the paradox of life to death. Hope in the midst of suffering, of the death becoming life in the cross life we follow as we follow Jesus, which we talked about a couple weeks ago in this series. So one of the keys as we step back in this brilliant text and step up just a little bit, what you see here is that the key to Paul's resilience and buoyancy is seen in how Paul weaves the tapestry of the overall story of the Bible in his context, in his Monday world. What you see in this text, let me highlight it briefly, you see the original part of the story, the original creation. Verse 6, you, you see it, God said, let there be light. He alludes to Genesis. Then you see the fall, that means the cosmic rebellion and the sin of a broken world, when you see his language in verse 4 of the evil one and human unbelief. And then in verses 10 through 15, you see redemption, the theme of redemption, salvation by faith through Christ. And then in verses 16 through 18, do you see where the text goes? It goes to a future new creation. So how do we bring this home? How do we help Paul's story, the biblical story, Shape our Monday world. And I want to get very down to earth this morning. Because as a teaching team, as a pastoral team, we long to equip you for your Monday world to get you ready. And what I'm about to share with you is vital for you to live out that Monday world well for a follower of Jesus. So let me unpack this a little bit. It can be hard, right, to understand the Bible I've been studying it since I've been this high, and there's lots of things I still don't understand. I love it more, and I have many questions. It has multiple authors. If you're newer to the Bible, it doesn't always go in chronological order. There's different cultures, different genres, but we can navigate through its brilliant complexity. 
From beginning to end, the Bible tells a coherent story. And the way to think about this, or a good way, is four progressive chapters in the story. In the Church for Monday guide booklet, we highlight this. So I want to encourage you to check that out. Again, the Bible story follows a four-chapter progression. I want you to hear it carefully, and we're going to unpack it. The first chapter begins in the early chapters of Genesis. It's original creation. It's how God created the world to be. The second chapter emerges already in Genesis chapter 3. It's what's called by theologians or Christians the fall. It's where God's good creation is disintegrated by human sin and cosmic rebellion. The third chapter is often called by Christians redemption. That is, God redeems, or we may say rescues, His fallen, broken creation by sending Jesus to restore it. And the fourth chapter, which is often called new creation, or you might be real sophisticated and impress your friends, called consummation, it is the chapter yet future from a human time perspective, when God will make all things new, not all new things, as the Scriptures clearly teach in Revelation. It's a new heaven and new earth. So I want you to say these chapters with me, okay? Creation, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Got it? Now, how do we begin to bridge our Sunday to Monday world with that framework? One of the ways we do that at Christ's community is to translate it this way. We call it the ought, the is, the can, and the will. And how this matches up is that original creation is how God designed life to be. It's how God created the world. We live in a moral universe. We understand the groaning when life, when violence, when other things we know is wrong. We say something is wrong. This ought not to be. God created a moral universe, and He created it good and perfect. That's the ought. We long for the ought. But there is a deep, broken is. That's how life is now. We live east of Eden, as it has been brilliantly said. The world is not as it was designed to be because of human sin and cosmic rebellion. But in the third chapter, right, there you have the ought, the is, the can is the chapter of redemption. That is, with gospel transformation and Holy Spirit empowerment, we can live more fully into the ought. But not fully yet, and that is the will. The will is the new creation that is yet to come. So we think of what ought to be, what is, what can be, and what will be. So how does this bleed, marinate into my daily life, my heart, my mind, my relationships, all of life. You may be thinking, ah, I'm not the Apostle Paul. His world is not like, my, like mine. Well, let me remind you, he spent a lot of time in making tents. That couldn't have been easy in his work world. But his life is messy too, just like ours. You may be thinking, I'm not an apostle, I run a company, I teach in a classroom, I'm a student, I work in a cubicle, I'm retired. How does the biblical story inform and shape my Monday world? How does it help me live a life of resiliency? I remember I had a conversation a while back with a couple whose marriage was really struggling. All marriages go through hard times. 
And if yours hasn't gone through hard times, give it time. So they were talking about how difficult it was, and I listened somewhat patiently. And then I asked them the question, well, what story animates your marriage? And they looked at me like I had, you know, some pastoral comment from Mars. What do you mean, what story? Well, I said, we all have a story that shapes how we view marriage, what we think it should be, what it can be. You know that language? And so I said, well, have you thought about the biblical story? What's God's story for marriage? So I briefly did the ought is can will. I said, God designed marriage to be beautiful and intimate and completing and all that. That was God's original design for marriage. He said it was good. But what happened? Sin and death entered the world. These wonderful creatures made in God's image become sinners, selfish sinners. You put two selfish sinners together, I don't care if they're even pastors. Spouses, they're sparks. That's the way it works. So the is is brokenness. Marriage has always lived in the is, some level. But that's not the end of the story. Your marriage can be more like it ought to be with God's help as you press into God's design. And one day, Jesus says it won't be exactly the same as marriage, but our relationships will be fully intimate and beautiful without sin and the deepest longings of our heart with others. So I'm sharing this framework. And the wife, usually it's, she's more transparent. She said, Pastor Tom, the is is ugly, isn't it? I said, yes, sometimes it is. But that's not the end of the story. God never meant for you to live in the is, but he's going to empower you to move to the can. And one day you'll experience what your deepest heart longs for in perfect intimacy with God and others. One day you will have the will of your heart. This is true in marriage. The audience can will. What about your workplace? What about business? How does the audience can will shape your work profoundly? It is the story that should animate your workplace tomorrow morning. How does that work? Well, when you go to work, whether you're running a company, you're a boss, you're a stakeholder, you may not like your job at all, you may be wrestling with a big decision, an ethical issue that may hurt your bottom line or competitiveness. So how does the biblical story animate your Monday in that context? First, ask what ought to be. How did God design this company and business and this workplace to be? What is his design and desire? What does it mean that my difficult boss or employee is made in God's image? How does that change my perspective? How should the triple bottom line of not only profits, but people and planet and the planet, how should that shape my thinking about my company, my work? How does it shape my business culture? So what is the is here? Where are the thorns and thistles I'm dealing with? Where is sin, brokenness, and disintegration evident in my workplace tomorrow? How is the evil one at work here? Because he's at work. Seeking to deceive, disintegrate, harm, disrupt, promote injustice, or bring conflict to that workplace. But ought to be? What is? But third, what can be in my workspace? How can the decisions I make move us more toward God's design for the flourishing of everyone in the company? People, prophets, planets, 
the planet? What, what, what can I do to bring more of God's design and desire into work, the workplace, to bring Christ's presence into the workplace? How does my attitude change toward my fellow workers and the inevitable thorns and thistles my work will bring? Sometimes we have a very wrong understanding of our work. For many people today are taught like I can find the best work, the best money, I love it, it's my passion. That's the rarity. Because our hearts long for not just what can be in our work, but what will be in the new heavens and earth when we will work without sin or thorns and thistles. What will be in the new heavens and earth? That's what our hearts long for. Present workplace, your job, any job, is a mixture of the good, bad, and ugly. What ought to be, what is, what can be, what will be. The Christian faith, the Christian story is not utopian on this earth. It is a hopeful realism that permeates all of life. Maybe your world tomorrow is raising kids. Primarily, that's your deal. What a glorious calling. What a hard one. How does the ought can, uh, ought is can will shape your understanding of parenting and raising children? First, what is the ought of God's design for your home, for your children to go and flourish? The scriptures teach that. There's a lot of good things there. But secondly, when you wake up in the morning, you know this. Expect sin and brokenness to greet those precious little sinners that meet you. It's a part of your life in your house. It's always going to be there. This side of New Heaven's Earth. And confront the enslaving mirage of the perfect family, would you? The perfect parent, the perfect home. Satan loves those utopian ideals to destroy you. You live in the is and the can, but not the will yet. Third, what can be in your home? With all its challenges, look to the Holy Spirit's empowerment to be creative and prayerful as to how to make your home and understand the uniqueness of each child to make your home a place of flourishing. Learn from other parents in your community. That's part of a church family. And remember, the perfect family, the perfect relationship, friendships are beyond your grasp this side of the new heavens and earth. And if you're a retiree, how does the ought, can, ought, is, can, will shape your tomorrow world? Paul embraced the best story. He says the biblical story is the best story. He says know the story, live the story, and last, notice where he goes, hope in the story. Notice verses 16 through 18. These are such beautiful verses. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, I love that, Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Just pause there for a moment. Paul, as a Hebrew rabbi, understood that the Hebrew text of the Old Testament brings weight and glory together. The word glory and weight are tied together. The idea of a weighty substance is the idea. An eternal weighty substance beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul reminds us, friends, in the midst of the brokenness of our Monday lives, the ugliness often of the is's, there is an empowerment of the can of redemption and ultimately a great hope of the will 
as we keep our eyes on what will come someday. Paul describes it as the eternal weight of glory. Eugene Peterson in the message says this wonderfully. He says, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. What a glorious future we have in Christ. But let me emphasize, Paul is not in any way diminishing the goodness or importance of this present material world as it now is or our lives as we are living now. This text is often taught wrong. But he is doing this. He is pointing us to the greater glory that is yet to come. The greater glory in the final chapter of God's story when Jesus returns to this earth and sets the world aright and ushers in the new heavens and new earth and makes all things new. Yes, we can bank on in our Monday world the best is yet to come. But the now is where God has sovereignly placed you tomorrow. Your Monday matters. So be fully there and be wholly His now. C.S. Lewis said it well, those who think most about heaven are best on earth. That's exactly right. So be attentive to the Holy Spirit's presence. Lean on Jesus' power, wisdom, and strength as you are yoked with Him in your Monday world. Whatever comes to you this time tomorrow, you need not lose heart. Even what was dubbed the Hanoi Hilton, POW Stocktail stayed hopeful. He never lost faith in the end of the story. Neither must we. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven on earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, frame our hearts and minds and bodies in the brilliant and beautiful and hopeful story that God's word gives to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.